Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, the J10 Initiative. Hello, podcast world. This is me. Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, Father John. Father Nathan. As you uh, discerned by that uh, lavish radio voice of his. Folks, missing you. Yep, X's and O's <laughs> and a letter from home. Yeah, it's a little late tonight. We're uh, cranking one out here. We got to be honest with them, okay? We... We have been doing uh, Tuesday night doubles uh, for all of June, which has been very good. I have been amazed that guys have been so on point, on time, and um, uh, it's actually been very good to just kind of crank and get some, you know, uh, some podcast loaded in the archive or whatever. Even when one night everybody drives <coughs> to where I'm living in a certain Hanyak, forgot the power cord. Me. Yes. That was me. I forgot it because I wasn't told, I guess. No, I'm talking about myself. That's true. Yeah. yeah. I said I'd take it. So, um, yeah, we're trying to... Oh, that's right. We didn't record then. Well, we, we recorded record. on Thursday then. We had a nice night. We had a nice night. We had a nice night. But, I mean, normally we're scrambling and maybe we get one one ahead, maybe, yep. maybe two ahead. Yep. Uh, but uh, I think right now we got a hopper. We got a full hopper. Full hopper, folks. We uh we also have Debbie in the garage right now. You want to talk about that? Debbie, yep. She's she's uh she's little Debbie who's gonna cart around this fat Deborah. So um uh shout out to Rick Mann, uh who uh, against his better judgment and and multiple people from Cabrini saying quote Why are you giving Father Nathan uh, a motorcycle? Um, he let me borrow a, a Honda XL two hundred and. Uh, it's been rather fun, and I almost drove it into the pond the other day. Which I, I wish I could have seen. I, I'm, I am happy you didn't take it into the pond, but... Literally, like, <laughs> I... Well, because I couldn't find the brake. Right. I couldn't find the brake, and I was just pouring on the throttle, and then all of a sudden I was like, ah! And I thought I was going to have to spill it, and then at the last second I found the handbrake, and it was like... Bird! Crazy. Which I was only going like five miles an hour. Yep. But it felt like forever. I was telling the uh, young companions tonight, you know, we do these uh, purchases when you uh, when you want to buy something that's over $250, such as a motorcycle or new skis. You have to get the permission of your fraternal group. And every once in a while, you get a uh, – I say you got, you got your default yes guys and your default no guys. Mm-hmm. And we have one default no guy, and I told him this tonight, Father Brady, you know. And he said, ah. And I said, no, it's okay. It's not a bad thing. It's just you just presume you don't need this. Right, you know, and so the the new default no guy is your new parochial vicar, Father True. Chris Considine, and oh. so CJ and Adrian and I were talking, and I said, "Here's the strategy, boys. You can't ask him yes or no questions. This is you got to kind of massage it a little bit in the best huh. way. So you got you know, so you get into these kind of negotiating kind of things. You no, know? so it was a, it was a joke, but it uh, they um, we were talking about how good it is because priests. You know, people are can be very generous with us, but it's it's weird to get these gifts for sacraments. Mm-hmm. You know, people give you two hundred bucks for a baptism. It's like, geez, that was like fifteen minutes, and they want to show their generosity and their appreciation. But um, so we 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 hand over these stipends and we try and we give them away. We try and kind of keep things simple, and it really is a gift. But because without that, without the fraternal group and the two hundred fifty dollar check, um, it would just be free for all. You'd have a Kawasaki Ninja, or whatever those things are called. Yep. Well, as, as Rick actually pointed out very well, he said, because I explained to him that I had to process this with the with the fraternal group, and he said, uh, well, it's important for you to know no one needs a motorcycle. You want a motorcycle. Right. So, um, so it was a good point, and uh, I'm very thankful that he let me borrow it. Uh, I think he thought that I had a little more um, aptitude on the motorcycle before did he uh, watch you almost drive it into the pond no but he did watch me in the parking lot he's like okay um (laughs) are you are you ready to get on now i'm like and what does this do and he's like that's the throttle i'm like what is break what does this do and he's like that's the on switch so he's going through all these things and then eventually he's like he's like all right let's try it out and i'm like "Uh, i don't really want to do it in front of you 
and so then like i he's like all right just you know you're gonna get on the bike you're gonna do all he explains it all or whatever he's like all right are you ready because it's a kickstart so he's like he's like it's in neutral so just you know give it a nice good kick so what do i do kick it right on and it starts and uh dies immediately because i didn't have the clutch in uh, and you know, i was just like uh. so i want to know how many motorcycle podcast listeners we have because yeah. uh there could be there could be a number of them and i just don't know well father will schmidt who i was with this weekend in uh flagstaff arizona uh he grew up on the back of a harley basically oh that's right yeah they, been- they took him to uh alaska so, I mean, he has been everywhere on that. So. Well, he's been to Sturgis like multiple times. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, he, as you said, somehow I have faith, you know. It's like, it's a crazy, crazy upbringing. So, he's your guy to talk to, I think. He's the motorcycle enthusiast. Blaha, Blaha also has one. Yeah, he does. Yeah. All of your all of your crushes have, have motorcycles, you know. Well, my dad. Rick, man. Part of the reason why is because my dad uh, rode motorcycles until uh, he had kids, and then he had to give them up. Okay. And uh, I've always wanted to go on a ride with my dad. Well, I think that's a good way to phrase it to Brady. I just want a motorcycle until I have kids, right? Right. Exactly. So, you're good. Uh, listen, I haven't even left the parking lot yet. It's not like it's not like I'm like ready to spread my wings and fly. Well, you so. got this great little loop outside. I know. I look like we one can... of the Shriners. <laughs> I look like one of the Shriners in those uh, motorcycles in the parades. So, did Callie cut the hair for the motorcycle wind, or was that just a no? It was no. finally time. Yeah. It was. It was getting nasty. Try and get the helmet on that. Yeah. So, uh, back to Phoenix, though. Um, shout out. Congratulations, Father Kevin Penkowski, probably one of the uh, oldest podcast listeners to be ordained a priest. He's really? Been listening for a long time. Huh. I think since 2013. Wow. I met the famous Louis and Lita. You know them. Louis Martinez. Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. And I immediately understood why you you guys were chummy. He's oh, a yeah. funny dude. Yeah. Louis, oh my gosh, I haven't I haven't heard of him in a long time. He's at, he at my house in uh, Mag House. Elita Martinez does not look anything like I thought she would. Well, she is her like last name like. Yeah, it's just yeah, Bert House. I mean, I was at a party, and if you know, if you said pick out Lita Martinez, I would have been like, okay, but so okay, yeah, but they were wonderful and uh, got to see them. But Father Kevin, Deacon Ian. Which, when you put it together, it's Deconian. So that's the uh, the Deconian. Deconian. He's very Deconian, which looks like Draconian. Right. So he immediately got the nickname the Count. (laughs) (laughs) I think the goatee and the uh, you know the sullen features, you know, (laughs) pasty face from all of his Nintendo Switch playing. (laughs) Yeah, I would agree. He does look kind of like a Dracula. Yeah, the Count. So the Count is now the Deacon. Very Deconian in nature and uh father kevin did a great job beautiful first mass uh he had his massive thanksgiving um uh kicked back about a month so that more people could attend so brought in the jv quarterback to give the homily which was a real honor yeah and uh so i was happy to preach father kevin has a particular penchant for symphonic metal music so i thought this is the perfect in because Balthasar wrote a book called The Truth is Symphonic, right? So the whole thing was about symphony. Yeah, but, yeah. It was a stretch. It was a stretch. He appreciated it, though. Okay. Yeah, we can just, you know. So Was that your first? First time preaching? Yeah, but it wasn't. Eh, it wasn't a real. I mean, it was. Why? I don't know. You know, so. I mean, but it was, was great. And it was the Feast of the Holy Trinity, you know, his first Mass on Sunday. So it was just, like, amazing. And his he had a fiddleback vestment that was made, and it, it's beautiful. Trinitarian imagery on it so it was great great to be with all of them and did uh, it have all the children of the world on it yeah he put that stole over the top right exactly beautiful yeah exactly <laughs> did you see that growing up because we had that oh yeah my vesting priest he was gonna buy me a vestment i love him father michael but i was like oh do not please yeah do not buy me the children of the world oh actually that was one of the first tests that i had at uh, cabrini so we were we were we were having a religious ed uh mass for the people that had just graduated or something like that and sean holds up the children of the world vestment and he said um you could wear this one and i said or i could wear that one and i just put it on and he kind of looked at me like you didn't do what i asked 
and I was like, I'm I'm not putting that thing on. Yeah. So I think ours is still in the back sacristy. I I I do need to lay that to rest. You have one here. Oh, okay. Oh yeah. Okay. I think every parish had one. You bring it out for your tenth anniversary. You know, special right. occasions. Exactly. We had some great uh, conversations about the liturgy this weekend about sacred music and. Uh, one there was a couple of comments while we were we were sitting up on um uh Sunday night up at Will's place there was a number of guys and uh having some scotch drink, uh, smoking some cigars and uh talking about um all this stuff but it was a riveting conversation I was like oh this is podcast material and he goes you got to wait you got to wait till I come out so I was like okay we'll wait for that topic so I got to write down some notes and save it so well, He's coming out in the fall. He wants to be on the podcast. He wants to be on the podcast. Yeah. Okay. I well, know you don't like you don't like guests. Yeah, we don't normally. I know. I didn't. I didn't commit. I didn't okay. commit. Deacon right. Father Kevin, I appreciate your enthusiasm. No, it's not Father Kevin. It's Father Will. Oh Schmidt. Yeah. Well, that's that's a horse of a different. If color. you were to hear some of these things we were talking about, you would want a month. So stay Schmidt. tuned. As does Schmidt say. listen? He listens. Okay. And actually, uh, if you're looking for another podcast to listen to, uh, they started one during the quarantine called The Northern Fathers. And it's Father Will Schmidt and Father Matt Lowry who live together. Nice. Father Matt Lowry is the um, <coughs> the pastor of the Newman Center, uh, Northern Arizona University, and uh, Will Schmidt's the pastor of, it's like six parishes that are, I forget the name of it, um, Saint Fr- San Francisco de Assis. So if, if you want another... The Northern Fathers. Listen to them, subscribe. They do uh, a couple times a week. They do, um, what do you call it, uh, reflections on the scriptures. So their style is more like the lanky guys uh, in terms of what they're doing. Sure. Probably a lot of content. So our listeners might not be as interested. Right. Um, well, I'm sorry. I, I can't. Oh, here it is. Um, if you're looking for another podcast to listen to, have you heard of this one? It's entitled, What God is Not. And the first episode is is Father and an Expectant Mother, Both Celibates. That is the new podcast from Father Olo. Oh, wow. What God is not. Sort what of apoph- is not. apophatic. Oh, okay. So he's he's on. He's back in the podcast so world. So it's not Do Something Beautiful. No. Okay. It's not. <laughs> no, it's not. Oh, but Olo. I will say Lux U is having an online uh, women's event that I did look on my email because it was sent to me randomly and uh, just to see who the speakers were. And? I wasn't on it. So okay. I just wasn't interested anymore. Well, you know, Leah Darrow, she came out guns blazing. She really wanted to be your best friend. I don't know if that, you know, matriculated. So, basta. I, yeah, that's right. We'll leave it there. Uh, he's dancing around uh, his topic because he's on for tonight, and uh, he's uh, he's putting in a little more banter because well, there might not be enough meat <laughs> to make a sandwich. I got. I'm looking at. Um, he's gonna put a lot of condiments on it. <laughs> he's gonna try everything in the fridge. I got. I have what I'm look. What I'm looking at here is a little bit of turkey, and it's good turkey. It's like you know smoked turkey. It's not that oven roasted nasty. Sure. Thing. And then uh, this is just a bunch of Havarti cheese. Okay. And we have no bread. We have no condiments. Uh, we might find some pickles. Maybe. Maybe. Right. You bring the pickle, I hope. I'm going to try. But the question is, what do you want to do? What do you want? You want Havarti cheese or do you want the turkey? Do you oh, want me to tell no. you what the they Havarti are? Needs to, Havarti needs to, to, to uh, congeal and age. Okay. Give me the turkey. Okay. We're going to leave the Havarti. Havarti is... Just as a prequel, we'll do this. We'll teaser probably next week when we're we'll teaser. doing it again. The when theology we're late, of when we're Full House and Global <laughs> and Uncle Jesse as the Paraclete. <laughs> so uh, this is a wonderful book that I'm reading uh, by Romano Guardini, who is fantastic. Great. Uh, he was a professor in Munich. He's German. He's got an Italian name because his dad was a uh, um, what do you German. Italian, right. sorry. Gobel is uh Gobel wants to go to bed right now and uh does not want to be doing this. So <laughs> anyways, I'm, I'm in. It's a it's a book that was republished called The Human Experience and he's got some amazing essays and one of them is called Von Schmidt der Schmermut. Von Schmidt der Schmermut. Von, von Sin der Schmermut. 
Schmamut. Which means the meaning of melancholy. Schmamut. Schmamut. Oh. The meaning of Schmamut. Uh-huh. And I thought of renaming Schloss Goebbels to Schloss Schmamut. Schloss Schmamut. Because of the uh, present inhabitants. <coughs> a lot of melancholy. And yeah. another, another one coming on July 8th. So this is a Schloss, Schloss Schmamut. So. But we'll save that for another time. That's the Havarti cheese. We're going to let it age. Let it age. We're going to get some other... We're uh, not ready yet. We're not ready yet, folks. We'll eat that after the meal. That's what they do in France. They eat the cheese afterwards. So, Well, this is... <laughs> Enough. <laughs> this guy is dancing. Oh, my gosh. All right. Here's the topic. Uh, Bishop Thomas Olmsted celebrated the ordination, uh, the massive ordination for four new priests uh, in Phoenix on Saturday. That's why I was in Phoenix. Uh, and I was... Really edified and inspired by his homily. If you don't know the name Bishop Olmsted, you should because mm-hmm. he's one of the. He's just there's a palpable holiness to the way that he his bearing and especially the way he celebrates mass, mm-hmm. and I, he's exemplary and he's wonderful and, and he's retiring in two years, so it's another great like Chapu and these guys who are kind of moving on. Um, and uh, but he he's one to watch and to to keep an eye on. He's done some wonderful writing. Um, He's uh, he's written some really good um, letters to his faithful. Exactly. Into the Breach was a big one on right. masculinity. Um, but he's even written some stuff on the liturgy that's, uh, that's good. And so um, he's a canon lawyer by training. He worked in the Vatican for a number of years. Apparently, John Paul II, uh, he worked very closely with John Paul. And uh, mm. when he left Rome, John Paul II gave him a parting gift, which was a pectoral cross. Wow. And he said, hold on to this. You're going to need it. Hmm. That's what the story goes. So, wow! And he was made a bishop. He's a priest of which uh, of Lincoln, I think, and was bishop in Wichita. Does that mm-hmm. sound right? Yeah. And has been in uh, Phoenix for a number of years and had has had some challenges. But I tell you what, um, a good bishop sets the tone, and you see it in the presbyterate. You see it especially in the young priest that he's formed. Yeah. And uh, I, I think that Phoenix is one of the vibrant, healthy uh, presbyterates, and uh, we are very blessed to have a lot of friends and a lot of connections with them and uh, because of our shared seminary. So, but uh, Bishop Olmsted during the homily of the ordination dropped this, this bomb. And it was like, I heard it and I was like, that was unbelievable. And what he was quoting was the author, Michael O'Brien. Mm-hmm. You know much about Michael O'Brien? I know about him, okay. but I don't know. What do you know about Michael O'Brien? He's a fiction, Catholic fiction author. Uh, Canadian, from Canada, yeah. Cana- from Canada, from exactly. Canada. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. I was going to say Canadian, but you said from beforehand. He is, from- and uh, Gronsky had his icon, right? So he's an artist. He's a Catholic artist and an author, and he's written a number of novels that are published by Ignatius Press. The only one I've read is uh, Strangers and Sojourners. I don't know if you've read any of them. No, I haven't. Um, I love that one. It was great. Um, I just need to be reading more fiction, frankly. But he is, uh, he's one of these guys who, um, when I read his, his writings, um, he reminds me of Anthony Lillis in a lot of ways, the, just a deeply contemplative soul. And, and these people are like, there are stars out there. There are constellations of people who are really praying and, and really uh, quietly contemplating the face of Christ in the midst of this chaotic culture and oftentimes very bureaucratic and activistic church they're there but sometimes it's hard in the midst of i don't know what you if you want to use the image of we're living in a city it's hard to see these stars and i think lillis is one of them for sure um michael o'brien is is a guy who uh who's worth kind of reading studying but understanding how he's seeing the culture that we're living in and so Olmsted quoted this line, and I was really struck by it, and I did a little Googling uh, and found it. And so O'Brien did, last Advent, he, get, he did an interview with this uh, blog, 1 Peter 5. I don't know if you're familiar with it. Good, nope. good uh, uh, blog, uh, worth reading. And I found the, I found the quote, which is, which is rather, um, it's, a, it's a paragraph, um, but it's worth unpacking, and that's kind of what I'd like to do for the next mm-hmm. few minutes here together um, when you're going to bring a pickle, hopefully. It's a big pickle. Mm. That's a story we'll share another time. So, um, so Olmsted was, was brought this quote into the homily. Uh, we'll unpack it for a little bit here, but to, before we do that, just one last point. 
the government and everybody is talking about protocol, right? We need levels of kind of reestablishing civilization. Everything is materially based. It's, a, you know, getting the economy restarted, all these things. It's important. But I was kind of thinking if I was going to lay out, quote unquote, level one, kind of Catholics moving out of the quarantine, what would I say? And I, I think it's summarized in this quote. Hmm. And so this is kind of my, so to speak, level one. You're moving out of quarantine. This is the basic spiritual uh, approach to start thinking about. Okay? Got it. So I'll read the quote, and then we'll break it down. Does that sound good? Yeah. So um, first off, here was the question. Oh, never mind. Time limit. We'll let that go. So uh, he's asked the question of kind of what are you seeing culturally um, and how do you understand your role as an artist and author in engaging that? And this is what O'Brien writes. Catholics in general need to, quote, unplug from the nearly universal dominance of commercial entertainment culture, by which I mean electronic mm -hmm. culture. Mm -hmm. Okay, you're, you're going to hear this immediately, and you're, this is going to be like, yep. I mean, Goble, you and I have been talking about this stuff for years. He continues, if we were to do so, we would no longer fear silence and we would experience a new richness of life as we move away from the psychological cosmos of frantic consumerism. That's where he got me. I was like, oh, what a phrase. The psychological cosmos of frantic consumerism. We would also grow in gratitude, reverence, and attentiveness to the holy, which is all around us. But we first have to recognize that we've been drugged. Yes, we believers, no less than unbelievers. If we hope for a true new renaissance, we will have to first of all deal with our addiction to mediocrity and at the same time keep our eyes open for those creative buds of new life that rise up against all odds in the midst of the soul-killing tsunami of contemporary culture. Hmm. We must encourage this new life wherever it appears. We must give the coming generation the courage to believe in the impossible. Mic drop. That's the turkey right did, there. How much did he quote in that his whole homily? thing? Really? He said that whole thing. So I'd like to just unpack that. The, the main line and probably what we'll talk about as, a, as the title of this will be addicted to mediocrity, which I think is the kind of the center. That, that's what really grabbed me. We have to, he says, we first of all have to deal with our addiction to mediocrity. And I was like, okay, that it hit me personally, but also I think as a cultural critique, this is really good. So, we're living in a time of upheaval. We're living. We're coming out of a strange quarantine. There's all kinds of pressures that we're feeling psychologically. And uh, this is a man who is. This was an advent. This is before COVID. This is before the rioting and uh, the violence of the last month. Uh, he is already kind of pinning this down. So we'll break it down into five or six different parts here. And I'd love again bring the pickle jar. Bring the pickles. Okay. Here's number one. Catholics in general need to unplug from the nearly universal dominance of commercial entertainment culture, by which I mean electric, electronic culture. So as an artist, O'Brien's first concern is what is culture, right? What is culture? And uh, this, is, this is, I think, something that we, we have to reckon with, is that we're living in a strange time uh, where culture has been replaced by this electric, electronic and technological ethos. Balthazar called this the anima technica vacua, the empty, the vacuous technological soul. If you think of Western civilization as like a body and a soul, okay, the body is going to work, um, going into for your curfew at night, you know, uh, having time with all these different things that we're doing, but what is the soul of the culture? What's, what is beneath the the kind of chaos of violence that's happening and the the kind of apathy and the sadness and the achadia of quarantine that many of us have experienced, well, we're feeling more deeply the emptiness of what he calls an electronic culture. So the first fundamental task of level one Catholics spiritually moving out of quarantine is unplug from, as he says, the nearly universal dominance of commercial entertainment culture. Yeah, and I can agree with that because, like in the first part of um, in the first part of the quarantine, I watched seasons four through eight of The Office. Right, like pretty much continuously because there was nothing to do. Right, nothing to do, nothing to see. You know, 
I watched more, and I was living with a bunch of seminarians who I, I think are are really outstanding men. But I watched more movies, Seinfeld, and I was oftentimes the one initiating it um, in that in those, especially that first month, because you just don't know what to do with yourself. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and we don't want to unplug. We don't want to unplug from Netflix. We don't want to unplug from the entertainment culture because it is uh, a distraction that we find impossible to live without. Well, and it's easily navigatable. Right. Like we can just plug in, you know, kind of get lost for a while, maybe for a long while, and then forget about stuff. And then the time passes quickly. Yeah. Instead, I, of, instead of working. Yeah, it is. And I, I think... You know, oftentimes it's the temptation is to hammer against electronic culture and media, and and there's truth. There's a lot of toxic crap out there that we should not be um, exposing ourselves and our family to, but it's also not bad. I mean, I I was thinking about watching Lonesome Dove together and how great that was uh, when I was here a couple weeks ago. Actually, I was riding on a uh, Cherry Creek today, and this guy was riding with me. It was real windy uh, here in Colorado the last few days, and we were kind of taking turns. He was this guy, sixty, but he sounded exactly like Roscoe from. Oh, really? And I was like, "Oh, are you from Arkansas?" Who was it? I don't know. Some guy. He just you know moved on, but um, but I think so. It's not to say that these things are bad, but what does it look like for you and your family and your rectory to unplug? from the universal dominance of commercial entertainment culture? That's that's the first question mm-hmm. that O'Brien is positing to us. And I, I think that's level one right there, yeah. is we're moving out. There's a lot of good things that happen. People are baking sourdough bread. We're playing board games together. Light, there's a stability. There is a silence that's happened, but we've also kind of backfilled a lot of it with Netflix. Yeah. And not just Netflix, Spotify, whatever. I mean, there's all kinds of media, but... The, the universal podcast, the universal dominance of commercial entertainment culture, we got to unplug from that. So that's the first thing. Any other thoughts on that? No, I mean, I think I think that if you're yearning, if you're yearning for encounter and uh, characters and community, it's better to find it in persons than in actors and actresses and storylines. Right. Live your own life instead of living somebody else's. And that's and that that's the key. Like, why do we love entertainment culture? Because it fills our life with a narrative. Because we don't feel a sense of narrative. We don't feel a sense of a and story. Connect, yeah, connectedness. Right. Connectedness. Jim and Pam. How many how many seasons do we have to go through? That's why I jumped to season four because I was tired of the the drama with it. And then you know it was just another drama because right. then they replaced it with Dwight and Angela. And, right. Which, by the way, like at some point, Dwight was dating this girl who was a bridesmaid at, at Pam's wedding, and then she totally falls off. Like, they never developed the character. Come on. Seriously. No. So, so that's the first thing. The unplugging is the, the first task, and it's a, it is a renunciation. It should, it should hurt a little bit, you know, to say, okay, we got to really pull back now from electronic culture. Um, and uh, especially kids, this is so important, because when they get this, it's like... Um, it's like, uh, I, I, I mean, it, it takes them, it changes them, you know? Right. So you, you got to be careful about that. And parents know that better than we do. So, But the, the, the thing about it that O'Brien says is when you unplug from the culture, when you, that two things happen. If we are, were to do so, what he's saying, uh, unplug from this universal dominance of commercial culture, we no longer fear silence. And we would experience a new richness of life as we move away from the psychological cosmos of frantic consumerism. What's connected to entertainment culture is this psychological cosmos of frantic consumerism, which is such mm-hmm. a powerful line. Uh, and it fills uh, the, the, the natural silence that accompanies human life with uh, noise, with a lot of cacophony, with a lot of just, like I said, it backfills everything. Um, it becomes a psychological cosmos. How could I live without, you know, the Net- Ozarks or whatever the Netflix show is right now, you know, Tiger King or whatever. It's, it's, yeah. it's something that fills you and you have to empty that. But as he says, when you do that, you no longer fear silence. And what a beautiful gift. If you were going to say, my plan for post-quarantine 2020 is I don't want to fear silence anymore. What an honest and beautiful thing to, to say. Yeah. Which is also inactivity. Right. Like uh, the the 
frenetic pace that we've been going at, I think a lot of people are are tasting for the first time, wow, like I can I don't have to fill all my time with busy work. Like I can check out, you know? Right. And when I check out, like what is it that I do? If I immediately go home, which is what I was doing, office was closed at noon, it was like, sweet, I'm done. Like I can't go to the hospitals. I can't go to the nursing home. I can't do anything else. I'm just going to pop in a little Netflix, you know, make some Cajun popcorn, live the dream. Yeah. And um, and I think that silence is connected with uh, restful activity. It's not just lying or lounging around. It's actually, what is it that I want to spend my time doing? And those are those kind of leisurely good activities. I had a very strange conversation, not to go on a too long of a tangent. I was leaving dollar car rental, you know, and you got it. The guy checks you out and he sees the collar and we had the craziest conversation. He actually wouldn't let me go because he kept asking me questions and the queue was kind of falling behind. Um, and uh, one of the things that was so interesting was I was, he was, he was fascinated by um, the fact that I'm a priest and he's a fallen away Catholic and whatever, but he was also just kind of an odd character. And I thought Mike Rapp would love this guy. These guys would be just, they would be buddies, you know? Um, but one of the things he, he kept saying was just like, how can you, how can you live this way? Is it, uh, what was behind it was, is it, is it possible to live this way? Like, can you really actually do this thing? Mm-hmm. And I kept saying to him, and he had this, he had some weird ideas around like, well, have you graduated yet out of like religion and into pure faith? And I was like, oh, that's interesting. There's a lot, a lot in there you know, philosophically, but I just said, it's about deepening. And the only deepening is in silence. And this is all like right there as he's checking the odometer and everything. And we're having this interesting conversation, sure. but it is about silence because when silence is present, your life is back in tune with reality. And what I told him, I said, the criteria for happiness is not my will, it's reality. And I said, I, and I said, this is a life project to try and figure that out, to try and actually live that way. But I spend a lot of it in this psychological cosmos of frantic consumerism. And it's not just Netflix. It's also the consumerism of my own ideas, of my own judgments, of my own whatever, the the way that I view reality mm-hmm. instead of actually receiving that which is. Yeah. Think, think about you sitting out and watching the birds, you know, a couple of days ago. It's like... Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have been able to hear the hummingbird today if uh, we finally got our first hummingbird at our feeder that uh, Ma- Mary Nepple gave us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wouldn't have been able to hear it if I was just jamming to you know Lilith Fair, right? So, which is what he usually does, you know, during quarantine. But right. And so the second line from that, then it, you know, with silence, we no longer fear silence. He said we would also grow in gratitude, reverence, and attentiveness to the holy, which is all around us. Mm-hmm. And what a beautiful line to think that. The holy is not something that like priests do, and it's not something that you just have to go to mass to receive. But that the holiness of God is something that is expansive and that that is playing out in being. It's mm-hmm. it's there. It's not immediate as much, but it's everything is pointing back to that the reality of it and having the reverence and a posture of receptivity uh, towards that. It, it, it really does shift your whole mentality. It's not, I wake up in the morning and I do what I want to do, but it's about I wake up in the morning and I, I start to receive reality as it's given to me, mm-hmm. as it's impressed upon me, and I let that form who I am and how I live and how I make judgments. Yeah. And that's that's the gift of silence, is that you you can't escape it. And let me tell you what, once you taste it, I mean, we go on a week silent retreat every year, um, and I think we always get it's. I always get nervous going into silent retreats. Um, even still, we've been doing this for sure. forever, yeah. twenty Agreed. years, you know. And uh, but I still am like, oh, you know. And then you leave and you think, how did I ever live differently? But then we fill our life with noise and we kind of move on. So right, Grat- I, gratitude, reverence, and attentiveness to the holy flow naturally out of silence. Right. I would say that it disposes us to a life of an incarnation, like we're actually incarnate beings that rely on our senses. So instead of somebody displaying to us on a screen an alter reality, it's like you're actually dealing with the reality in front of you. Right. How much more activity has been done 
around your houses because you're actually seeing things that should be done. My brother, I mean, literally, like, I've had to suffer through three different FaceTime calls where he shows me this is the progress that we've made on the backyard. But I'm excited to see it in person because I've seen it before, but seeing it on a screen doesn't really do it justice. And, like, by the way, Mike, your internet really craps out whenever you go into the backyard so it's usually just pixelated stuff and i'm usually just going oh cool yeah but like we actually want to live in our homes with the people in front of us and in our own in our own lives instead of living something else right yeah that's that's it reality becomes the criteria of my happiness of my my existence and that's something that has to be received and that has to be received in, in in a lot of silence. I wouldn't just say it's the criteria for my happiness. It's the arena of my happiness. Because reality can suck, and I can actually still be happy. COVID is pretty crappy. But, like, this is this is what I'm dealing with, and how am I going to deal with it with joy? Right. Reality bites. Was that a thing in the 80s? Reality bites. Right. Exactly. So uh, this gets to the third point, uh, and I think we just have four, so don't worry. He's looking at his phone more and more here. Getting so, texts. I'm getting texts, okay. He says, and this is, again, this is what really grabbed me while he, while Bishop Olmsted was reading this, and he said, um, but we first have to recognize that we've been drugged. Yes, we believers, no less than unbelievers. If we hope for a new true renaissance, we have to first of all deal with our addiction to mediocrity and at the same time keep our eyes open to those creative buds of new life that rise up against all odds in the midst of the soul-killing tsunami of contemporary culture. So, breaking that down, uh, we've been drugged. That That is a, that's a striking image uh, mm-hmm. to try and kind of get your head around a bit to say, imagine that you were drugged. I mean, I, I was in Boulder uh, working with college students, and I know the. I, w- I was working with women who had, you know, who had been drugged at bars, and the horror and the pain and the confusion and the, the way that it it formed them. I, I mean, it, it was devastating. So that was the first thing that came to mind when I heard that. I was like, "Is it like that? Like, like that kind of drugging?" Um, and and there's truth in that, and and the scary thing, this but the sobering thing that O'Brien is saying is that we're not immune to that because we profess Christ Jesus. We have been drugged. Yes, we believers no less than unbelievers. So the priests, the faithful sitting in the pews or sitting in the parking lot, whatever you're doing at your parish right now, uh, we have been drugged to believe again and to live within this psychological cosmos of frantic consumerism and a whole world has been created that we can kind of live and exist in uh, that we don't even realize. So this is, it's kind of like the matrix. I mean, going back to that movie of like it, we, you got to break out of this world. And once you're out, you realize how could I ever live like this? But just because we go to mass, just because we pray, just because you know, we're faithful to Christ and we have faith that it doesn't mean that we're not drugged just like the rest of, you know, the culture right now. And the drug, what, what we're drugged into is he says this, uh, addiction to mediocrity, which again, I think is the, that's the most important point for me personally. Um, that mediocrity, do you know what the etymology of mediocrity is? No. Medios meet halfway up. Uh, and uh, kritos means a peak or a cliff. So mediocrity means you literally half you climb halfway up the cliff. Hmm. Is that interesting? Yeah. Mediocrity is the person who sets out on the path of greatness and settles at, well, I'm a good person. Sure. I'm a nice person. I, I'm not like those other people who commit horrible acts of violence or are rioting. I'm just, I'm a nice person. I'm doing my thing. Everything's fine. I'm in total control, but everything's okay. That's mediocrity. Huh. Right? Right, I don't identify with these serious sinners because I'm, I'm a good person. And, and everybody goes to heaven, as we know, you know, and everything's great. Let's just be nice to each other when we're shopping at Whole Foods and they get the last bag of quinoa or whatever it is, you know. Right. This is an addiction to mediocrity. We've been drugged into this and we've become addicted. 
and we love our mediocrity and we crave that mediocrity and we act and we live out of it and it forms our culture it forms our values it it informs the way that we we practice the faith the way that we vote everything just keep it simple we don't want any problems we just want to be at peace which means wealthy right. healthy and comfortable leave us there and everything's fine right and the world's going to hell in a handbasket and we this is an opportunity for us to say maybe it's time to realize we're drug we've all been drugged right and we got to break free of this addiction to mediocrity. That's funny because that's what that's one of the things that they they talk about in the culture now is, are you woke? Right. You know, but <clears throat> I mean, it's woke to what they're proposing, and the Christian is alive in Christ, who's actually in this season. I mean, that we're kind of living out of. He's broke on through to the other side in you know, the ascension, and then from heaven, you know, drops down this sort of seeming intoxicant because the the apostles look like they're drunk, but it's like it gives them an energy that is electrifying, and they go out from there, and they convert the whole world. But we've sort of devolved into, well, they did that, you know? Like, our parents... You know, they worked really hard, and, and now, like, you know, I have a comfortable life, and, you know, we don't have to do anything more. I mean, I just want a nice, solid internet connection. Right. I was talking to a friend of mine who's who's hosting some people in his house, and he said one of the few times that they come out for community is when the internet goes down, because they're like, um, is there, is there a problem, you know? And uh, and it's because they they're, it, for a moment... They were like, I'm not getting my drug. I'm not getting my fix, you know? And, you know, he's like, oh, nice to see you. I didn't realize you were here. So I would say, like, in some ways, like, we have to really fight against the comfortable uh, mentality of, I don't have to do anything more. Right. And that's a good lead into the uh, the last point that O'Brien says here is, you know, the soul-killing tsunami of contemporary culture. That's a... That's a great line. I forget. There was a homily about the tsunami of destruction. Was that Shapu or who? Do you remember that line? No, mm-hmm. you weren't at that. That was at the seminary in my day, but I forget who who said it. Uh, maybe it was Goronsky. But the final point here is we must encourage this new life wherever it appears. We must give the coming generation the courage to believe in the impossible. And I think that ties into what you were just saying of like, the point of this, the point of unplugging from Netflix, the point of learning to not fear silence, the, lo- the, the point of growing in gratitude, reverence, and attentiveness to the holy, which is all around us, the point of being no longer drugged, um, even though we are unbelievers, and, and being free of the addiction of mediocrity, the point of all of this is to make a gift of ourselves. It's not so I feel more fulfilled in my life according to how I think it should be. It's about... All of a sudden, I become fruitful, spiritually fruitful, uh, as priests, as parents, as anyone, uh, men and women. Uh, there's the possibility of supernatural fruitfulness that comes from conformity to Christ, but we have to shed all of this baggage uh, in order to give to the next generation, our nephews and nieces, to say, hey, it's possible to live differently. Mm-hmm. The impossible is in fact possible in Christ, the courage to believe in the impossible. And I think that the only thing that's coming now in, in this post-Christian world, and, and I'm, I'm so struck by, even by some of the comments we heard from uh, our podcast and our um, post about the, the racial violence and everything that's happened, even the way that some of that's happened, I'm like, the only answer is holiness right now. Carl Rahner had that great line, uh, in, the, in the 21st century, the, the Christian will either be a mystic or he will not be at all. And that's, that's where we're going. And I, I, I just think we, this is where it gets serious, is to say, you might not desire this, but the people who you're around, who you work with in your family, your friends, they desperately need you to be free of your addiction to mediocrity and to become your, fully, your full self in Christ. That's the invitation. So log there. out and live. Log out and live. What is that? Tune out. Check out. What's the Gronsky well, yeah, line? Yeah, that one's kind of dangerous. That's dangerous. Though. Yeah. O'Leary. The um, yeah, Michael O'Brien. So there you go. That was the turkey. That's good. I'm. I mean, you're fu- you're satisfied. 
I'm satisfied. Satisfied. The Havarti's going to age a little bit. Age a little bit. I hope we added something. I mean, I think that's helpful because if you would have read that quote to me once and then gone on to something else, I'd have been like, oh, that was that was really beautiful prose that I don't remember now. But well, I'm I think learning, probably learning sink how, it in a little more. learning how you work after 10 years of doing this together. You're, you're a... You're a DJ Stevie kind of guy. Yeah, know? I gotta, I gotta take, take it, it in a little slow. bits, little bits. Take it in slow. Right. So. No, I mean, I would certainly, I certainly would recommend Michael O'Brien. He's one of those authors that uh, I have, I have respected and derived a lot of fruit from from other people, but never have had first firsthand knowledge. So when you haven't read David Copperfield, and you know, as I lay dying, you know, it's like maybe I should go to those first. Then I'll work my way to Michael O'Brien. But three little knows? kittens, though you've read. You've three read. little kittens. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> gets better and better, folks. <laughs> All right, some shout outs. Yep. All right, first shout out um, to Pat and Michelle Dempsey in Omaha. Have you had this happen where one of your friends calls you and they're like, "Hey, I got a podcast listener here, and we're gonna FaceTime you," and they're like, "This is super awkward." Awkward. So, Father Taylor. Love you, bro. But I felt really bad for Pat and Michelle and their teenage kids who were like, what is going on right now? So, But it was great. Thank you for listening. Dempsey family in Omaha. Not to be confused. The Dempsey family in Denver. True. Who may or may not listen. Um, but, Sometimes. But thank you for listening. Aaron definitely does not. Aaron Hewley is, you know, on to bigger and better things. Okay. Okay. So long letter. A very nice script. Well, the moment I have been dreading has finally come. After a year of working through the Catholic stuff our archive, being able to listen whenever I wished, I have caught up to your most recent episode, and now I'll have to wait for weekly updates with the rest of Listerland. Uh, I work as a youth minister for uh, a two-parish collaborative in the Archdiocese of Boston and was experiencing some uh, tough times in my ministry, which in turn led to a difficult time uh in my spiritual life, listening to your podcast on my commute provided me with 45 minutes there and back of hope each day. Your banter, team banter here. Team banter. Well done. Uh, provided much needed levity. It also provided a wonderful glimpse into diocesan priestly life, but more importantly, a beautiful picture of Christian community. Your topics were full of thoughtful, useful, and needed wisdom. Time and again, it arrived exactly on a day when I, it was a perspective I was looking for. Thank you for offering your knowledge, passion, and insight to me and everyone you've helped grow in their spiritual life. Love and blessings, Courtney Callanan. 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 Courtney Callanan. Thank you, Courtney. Very nice. Callanan. Very nice. Um... Another shout-out from Phoenix before I forget. One more, one more, and then you can read that one. Um, This is the opposite of the awkward. So Ian Wintering, Deconian, the Count, he always always tells people, don't tell them you listen to the podcast. So I had a lovely conversation with a friend of Lita's named Ashley Cashel, a.k.a. Cash Money, as they call her. Cashley. Cashley is a big fan, and she didn't say anything. So... Cashley, thanks for uh, keeping it normal, and it was nice to meet you. And uh, Make that money. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you so much for doing the podcast. Another letter. Uh, I began listening to it two and a half years ago when I was a missionary in China. A friend of mine recommended it to me at the time. I had no idea how much joy, laughter, and wisdom it would bring into my life. At first, I would skip the banter, but the more I craved hearing people speak English, the more I would listen to it, and eventually I fell in love with the banter. In China, your podcast was often the highlight of my week and what I would look forward to. I love your honesty and vulnerability. Currently, I'm not in China and don't know the next time I'll be back. In the meantime, I'm off to Austria for three months to teach English. Uh, Thank you for all your work. Blessings. Kelly DeCastra uh, from Newburgh, Indiana. Very nice. So I have a whole stack of letters that I need to get through. We're getting there. And uh, this is the last one. Story with it. Okay. Okay. Christmas card. From the Sonnen family, okay? Sonnen family from Annandale, Virginia. I think we've given a shout-out before, but um, Andrea, not Andrea. Andrea. What is her name? Uh, Mary? Mary Sonnen. Yep. So Mary uh, was very kind and gave us a jar of honey. Ah. And as you know, in this house, we have a a creature that consumes an inordinate amount of honey. Mm Mm-hmm. 
So uh, he had worked his way through the uh, two. He had worked through his uh, the large bottle of local honey that I had gotten him, and I was afraid that he was going to go after the Sonnen one, which I wanted to keep for myself. As John knows, I put it on the top shelf. I noticed. And next to my chocolate that uh, Father uh, Roberto uh, gave me a long time ago. Um, And um, anyways, um, so I kept that up there. But the time was coming that I knew he was going to go after it. So I said, fine. (laughs) So I took it out and I put it on a a mug warmer. Okay. Like, you know, about these mug warmers. So you put it on the mug warmer and then it melts the honey down. Very nice. okay? Okay. The problem is this. Honey is actually really compacted in those jars. Oh. So when I put it on the the warmer, you've compressed a lot of honey into a small amount when it crystallizes. When you uncrystallize it, all of a sudden the pressure gets really uh, high. So I had it on the on the warmer, and all of a sudden I noticed that there was a little drop of honey that was pouring down the the side of the the jar not realizing that it had already gotten on the mug warmer so then i decided to open the jar oh jeez in the middle of the dining room the explosion <laughs> of honey uh went from the edge of the dining room dribbled all the way around I actually got it on the back of a chair, and uh, then I think I moved the chair into the honey spot because honey, as it's warming, becomes <laughs> molten lava. So my hands were on fire, and I'm trying to get to the sink, and then there was like honey everywhere. And, uh, you know, people were telling me for like weeks or like days, like, hey, there's another honey spot or whatever. But I will say this the wildflower honey is very tasty and i can taste the thistles from maryland or virginia wherever you are (laughs) so the sonnens thank thank you you. thank you for your gift catholic stuff podcast this has been a a turkey delight father john (laughs) i'm glad you finally got around to you know reading to us catholic stuff podcast at gmail.com thanks for listening see you next week ciao ciao